The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. And that's because the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe has some great features like the available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads, and much, much more. So think about those places that you want to go, the things that you'd like to do this weekend and where the Santa Fe can take you. Learn more about the all new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Freaking first cut. Golly. Welcome to the First Cup Podcast. I'm Rick Gaiman, and this is your U.S. Open Recap Pod. And joining me to break it all down, Greg Ducharme is here. Greg, good to have you. Great to be back, Rick. Uh, what a tournament! And <sighs> boy, I'm thrilled. There, you know, there. This this tournament had some moments where I was, you know, my emotions kind of went up and down. I was a little unimpressed for a little while. I was thinking. All right, I've seen better events. And that's what I mean by unimpressed. I've seen better majors. And then all of a sudden, today, it completely culminated into just one of my favorite majors of, of recent memory. This one was awesome. Um, I, I, I give this a, a, an A+. <laughs> there was a moment where basically the top five players in the world were leading or one shot back oh, of the... It was, was just, awesome. It was, it was unbelievable. Mark Immelman also here. Mark, uh, you got to enjoy this one uh, from home. I hope it was everything <laughs> that you were expecting it to be a great finish. Well, yeah. Um, before we went on the air, I was telling Greg, I'm like, man, this is, I could get used to this sort of stuff. Sitting on the couch, <laughs> tweeting about golf is actually pretty easy and there's not the pressure <laughs> yeah. of having to make something, say something insightful about some incredible golf shot. But but Greg, um, I'm not like you, bro. I was glued to the television. I thought it was highly impressive. Hell, when Louis made that birdie putt on ten, I nearly fell off the couch. Um, but but from the word go, when Ram birdies the first couple holes, Rory makes an early birdie. Brooks gets going. Um, uh, it was I, I was hooked. And yeah, I, I thought it was some sort of an uh, of an event. And to be, I'm getting ahead of ourselves, but but. Bravo, John Rahm. I mean, what what a what a way to close something out. That essentially, if anyone deserved something, it was him. Mark, just I'm talk. I am with you on today. I was glued to the TV from the get go today. Earlier in the week, there were some there was some head shake. But as the week, my here's my point. As the week went on, it got better and better and better. Which which I think makes for a great event. So I was very happy with the way that today played out. All right, gentlemen, uh, grab a beverage. I've essentially torched the outline. We're going to see where this goes from here. John Rahm wins the U.S. Open, his sixth PGA Tour victory, his first major championship. Of course, he does it at Torrey Pines. And I'm going to try to do this a little bit chronologically because of the way everything played out. It was so enthralling. And Mark, I'm just going to throw this right back to you because you've already mentioned it. Rahm started the day three shots back of the trio at the top. He immediately birdies one. He immediately birdies two. And then he almost flies the green on three and is stuck in kind of a, a, a troublesome spot. He hits a great flop shot and makes par. That was the moment that I was thinking, 
Oh boy, here we go. Rombo's back in this thing. Yeah, it was kind of crazy to me, you know, given how we set the thing up in Saturday evening's pod, Rick, where, you know, I was sort of trying to handicap the field. And and like I said to you, I could make uh, I could make a decent case for anyone on the first page of the leaderboard that they could pull this thing off. But the way he came out and played and, and, and what I saw, and I'd be keen to, to see Greg's commentary on this because I respect his opinion. I, uh, he was the guy that didn't really look like there was a disaster waiting around the corner. You, mm-hmm. you know, I know there were one or two hookups on, on, on the back nine over there, but, but that's inevitable in a U.S. Open. But the way he was driving the ball, the way he was controlling the iron game, mm-hmm. the way he was putting, and more than anything else, the, 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 the relationship and the, the banter and the communication between he and Adam Hayes was just so on point. And um, he, he, you could see the stress. I mean, that's real when you're playing for a major championship, like when you're playing for a PGA Tour championship and trying to win it stressful. But you could just see a guy that looked like he knew it was sort of his time. And he never looked phased. And when things kind of weren't going his way, he also didn't try and panic, which I've seen John Rahm do before at this very event. In fact, uh, I had him at Torrey Pines in February, and it was he and Victor Hovland. And on 14, they both in the show, and they mm. both hit it down the left side of 14, and they both blow it long left on 14, which you never do, and essentially cost themselves the event. But it looked like he knew, it was almost Tiger-esque in a way, he knew that if he just stays upright, things are going to probably fall in his favor. And then to make that fast finish that he did, that was vintage. And, and I mean, what a way to close out your first major championship. I mean, he must be flying so high right now. It's crazy. Yeah, the yeah. the middle of the middle of that round, Greg, where he makes birdie on nine, then he goes into the gauntlet, ten through seventeen. Th- those holes, every single one of them playing over par. The hardest holes on the course are there. He played ten through sixteen at even. He parred them all. He looked in control. He had that look about him. I'm going to save the last two holes here for a second, but I I agree with Mark. My takeaway from this was Rom was dialed in. He he was kind of going with the ebbs and flows of this round, kind of understanding a major championship. And while names were flying up the leaderboard, flying down the leaderboard, he was just hanging tight, waiting for his opportunities. You really see why he's the number one player in the world, right? He he um, is so well rounded. You mentioned what he did on three, the up and down on three was um, um, perhaps a little bit of luck to stay up and not go down into the um, into the penalty area. Maybe maybe that's a little bit of luck. That's what you need to win major championships quite often. But the one, the next one I go to is the uh, shot on eleven. That up and down on eleven. That was a hole that everybody seemed to be missing to the right. You saw Bryson. Bryson's uh, meltdown kind of started there at eleven. Uh, Rory, I believe, hit it. No, Rory hit a great shot there, but. Um, but maybe three putted or, uh, or he didn't make birdie no, he made anyway. Par. I think he made, he made par. par. So he two putted from the middle of the green. Um, but anyway, a couple of bunch of players hit it over to the right. Rom included. He hits it into the bunker, very nearly misses the bunker. And that's a tough shot. He's short sided and he hits this shot out that, um, it, it comes out so soft and it, it just lands like a beanbag on the green. It was awesome. It was, that was an awesome shot. And that's why you feel that way, Mark. That's why you feel like there's no disaster coming for him. He plays a very consistent shot shape off the tee. He strikes his irons very solidly. And when he misses, 
um, he has the ability to get up and down from just about anywhere. So it, 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 watching him, there was a lot of confidence. Well, I wanted to comment <clears throat> quickly on your observation about number 11, because somewhere during the final round there, I tweeted the holes 12, 15, 16. Uh, they play 14 to a certain extent, but certainly 12, 14, 15, 16 just seem to play harder late Sunday because the breeze sort of kicks up and it's a cross on 14, but otherwise 12 is in, 15 is across, and that fairway is so narrow and it's just the thing's almost a par five. But 11 with that back right hole location, and this is for the folks who didn't think Torrey was a good venue, right? You look down, you play from on high, it's almost a club downhill, you play back into the wind. This green looks like the size of a thimble. It's well bunkered, and every other hole location on the green is narrow. But back there in that little alleyway, if you hit it in the front bunker, unless it plugs, it's actually the most easy bunker shot I've arguably seen on the PGA Tour. And I wanted to say something about this to say, these folks aiming at that flag, if you slide it off there close, great. But if you hit one on the green, 50 feet short, the two putt is just so hard. And it's almost easier to get the thing up and down out the sand. And when John took on the line that he did, I was like, it sort of looks like he knows this, which he should, because he's won here. So he hits the thing in the bunker, and if you draw a lie, you've got an uphill lie, the green sits toward you. For these guys, that's a eight out of ten sort of proposition. So I, I thought that shot down eleven was highly calculated. <laughs> Going at the flag. That's interesting because yeah. a lot of guys who hit it over that bunker were they were way down at the bottom of the hill down there. Mm-hmm. Um, unfortunately, I can't think of a, an example past Bryson, but I saw at least two or three other players well, Louis as my head was well. spinning. Louis was down there. Okay, mm-hmm. there's an, there's another. Am I, as my head was spinning, I was watching these guys down there saying, <laughs> man, you got to be. So I thought the shot Rory hit was such a good shot at, right at the up the center of the green there. Um, but hey, it's an interesting point. If, if that feels like a really easy bunker shot, then I'm all for it. But it looks like you're short-sighted there. It looks like trouble. And and I always feel like when John Rahm needs a, a shot around the green, he has what it takes to execute it, whether it, it's one he should get up and down, one he shouldn't, like the one on 18, I mean, the one on three, any of those. I always feel like he has that ability to pull it off, which well, showed today. You talk about par threes, dude. The shot he hit into 16, that was high octane. I mean, you're playing into a quartering breeze there. Now, that whole location is hard back on that plateau on the left-hand side because you're cooked in that left bunker. We saw Brooks in there. There were a few guys that hit it in there that had nothing. And that shot he hit in there, that was out of the blueprint. And when he hit the shot, I was like, wow. You know, I, I have the luxury of seeing these guys playing on a Sunday afternoon, vying for titles when they've got all of their incredible facilities on full display, the adrenaline surging, and these guys are hitting shots that they typically wouldn't. But in a major championship, it's just different. And 16 asks you all sorts of questions, and he came through there with a freaking dot. I mean, that shot that he hit was was off the charts good. He would two-putt on 16 for par, and he would step on 17-T, Greg, one shot behind Louis Ustase. And at that time, John Rahm was four under par. Louis was five under. He hits his approach to 24 feet, seven inches, has this left-to-right breaking putt. He's aiming multiple multiple feet outside the cup. He buries that, and then, of course, he backs it up with another birdie on 18 to post a six-under lead in the clubhouse, and then he has to wait the putt 
uh, the the putt that he hold on seventeen was. I mean, that this is the thing that you're kind of waiting for. Oh, who is that? Who's Kyle who's making all that noise? <laughs> Kyle Porter from uh, somewhere at Torrey Pines. Where are you, Kyle? I'm I'm about to get a bag of balls and just pound some four irons out here. I'm on the <laughs> driving nice. range. Nice. You on sixteen T? No, I'm on the driving range. Oh, there you go. Yeah, well, I got. Uh, I'm gonna get them to put my name on one of those USGA markers and just set it up there for me. Just Porter. There you awesome. go. Have them have them crank the lights on for you so that you can uh, you can go all night a la Bryson. Yeah, I've got my I've got my camera guy out here. I might just use his lights to you know get some get some hacks in out here. Hey, how there good was go. that ending? You tell oh. us. You tell oh. us. we're at we're at the point. We just got to John Rom seventeen, birdie seventeen. He birdies eighteen. Tell you tell us how good that finish was. Well, I'm with I'm with uh, I was with Rory. I was with Bryson. I was with Brooks, and then Rom starts. I mean, I, th- I heard you guys talking about it. He he hit. I mean, it was like he had a twenty foot birdie putt for nine straight holes. And that was like, that was the deal, you know? And I'm walking up as he hits the putt on 17. And so I heard that. I didn't see it. And then I walk all of 18. And whenever he hit the shot out of the bunker on 18, I thought he hit it too far to the right. And I think that, I mean, obviously he was playing away from the pond. But I thought he, I just thought he gave himself too, like, too long of a putt. And I looked over at Ryan Lavner, who was standing next to me, and he goes, he's going to bury this in your face after you questioning his decision to hit it out that far to the right. And sure enough, I mean, it was a, it was an all, it was a really great, like, hey, this is a major championship moment, right? Like, we don't, you don't always get that at a major. And that's what it felt like of like, hey, we're going to look back. This will be that putt, the, both of those putts will be replayed for 20 years, you know, at the U.S. Open. And I was really glad that, at the end of a week where people kind of lit Tory up a little bit, that was that was the ending that we got from it. 24 feet, 7 inches on 17. 18 feet, 3 inches on 18. And Mark, I'll, I'll, I'm happy to do this. I'm happy to throw the stats out the window because statistically he's unlikely to make one or both of those. But it seems as if John Rahm has a knack for this. I'm thinking of the 66-footer that he buried on Dustin Johnson at the BMW Championship. I'm thinking of the eagle that he made on that very 18th green at Torrey Pines. He goes and rolls both of these in. There is There is something that he is able to summon with the flat stick in these big moments. Yeah, all the great champions have that sense for the moment. I mean, Woods is obviously the master at it. You know, people call it will, where they will will a putt into the hole. But I think maybe this is what Phil Mickelson saw when he saw a a young John Rahm come to Arizona State. You know, everybody hits the ball great. You know, I can point you to Wilco Nienaber, who will turn your head to its side when he hits it. But there's something about putting it together and turning great striking and great short game skills and all this sort of stuff into tournament wins and then showing up when it means something and, and just lurking like John Rahm did the entire time. You, you know, let some guy run out front and you hang in the peloton because you know you've got the closing kick. And uh, I find it curious, Greg, because the left to right putt for the right hander is the hardest one to commit to. And all of the putts he's made of consequence, these two we talk about, the one down 18 there in, at Torrey a couple of years ago to win, that had all sorts of movement, but overall it was moving from left to right. And then the one at the BMW, that thing was turning huge from the left-hand side. So I find it curious that the most awkward putt for the right-hander is the one that he just seems to absolutely thrive on when the chips are down. 
Yeah, I think some of that has to do with uh, the fact that he's a fader of the golf ball. He, he likes to see that curve throughout the entirety of his game. Uh, and sometimes the left to right putt can give you, it's easy to see the line because you're looking, you're, the line is in front of you. So sometimes that can be easy. You got to make a good stroke and it's uncomfortable for most. I totally agree with you, but there are, are definitely some players where it's a little easier for them to see that line. And so I, I don't know what it is for John Rahm, why he, he likes those putts, why he's made so many of them. I, I don't know if that's just a coincidence that he's had those putts in the biggest moments. Um, like Tiger has had a lot of those too. Um, or, or if it's, uh, if it's something that he prefers. But I look at what John Rahm did throughout the week on the greens, and this was just, you could feel this coming. If we had talked about this last night, say, one thing that I would have pointed out is it felt like John Rahm was playing poorly leading into this uh, leading into this round. It didn't feel like he had his best stuff. It didn't feel like he was making a whole lot of putts. He, um, he gained, like, what, 3.62 putts for the week, and on the last day, he gained uh, a large majority of those, 2.2.5. So um, I, I think today's round was a great putting round for him. And, and he still, it, it took until the last two holes to make it a great putting round. So you kind of had this feeling like it's not, nothing has happened for John Rahm this week. Nothing has really happened, and he's still here. And that can be a really good sign for a player like that because all of a sudden something happens and this is what we get and he does it in the biggest moment so I I couldn't be more impressed Um, everybody knew that this guy was going to win in January and everybody thought he was going to win after what happened at Memorial happened it's like every step of the way John Rahm was the guy for this week and that's a lot of pressure and he he pulled through and it's it's not easy to do our, our friends over at William Hill are, are licking their wounds this week after John Rahm was victorious. The last player to birdie KP, the final two holes to win a major by one shot, 1998 Masters. That was Marco Mera. That's that via, uh, via Justin Ray. And this is notably uh, not only uh, the, his first major title, but I don't even know if you remember this, KP. We talked about this before, I think, the PGA Championship. I said, how many how many majors does John Rahm have to play in and not win before you start getting worried about that being a thing? I said, I said 20. And this was 20. Yeah. <laughs> I got a prediction, right? After, after, uh, after I had, uh, after Bryson ejected my one and done pick and he just goes 44 scorched earth on the, on the second nine here, just, just an abomination of a back nine. Just horrendous. No, I think I think Greg's point about Rom is really good, and I can't remember if we talked about this or I said it on HQ or something. But I thought Rom won the tournament on Friday night or Friday afternoon, whenever he played his second round, because he had nothing. Like he had nothing from tee to green, and he even said that afterwards. He's like, I didn't. I, I mean, I was like lost, and he and he shot a seventy, and like I, yeah. I, I think that early in his career he would have shot a 74. And that's not like, I don't think his, I don't want to do the whole like, oh, he's got his temper under control, whatever. Like, I think he just did a great job of not letting bad breaks or bad shots affect the next three or four shots because that's what would happen. Like, I don't care about your temper. I care about, are you thinking about that bad break for six holes or whatever? And I thought he did a great job of this uh, or of that early in the tournament on Thursday, or specifically on Friday, because he, he just didn't have it, and he posted a number and kept himself in it going into the weekend. 
And and Saturday too, Kyle. It was uh, on what what was it, what was it fourteen on Saturday, where he made where his ball got caught up. Yeah, in the flag. he makes double there, which which was like like a kind of a bizarre thing. And he also he said on Saturday, "How bad are you?" Sw-? There was one moment where he was on um, his audio was on after he hit a shot, and I want to say it was twelve before the double bogey, and he just says, "How how bad are you swinging right now, bud?" Talking to himself. <laughs> And you just had the, and he shot to your point, Kyle, he shot 70 and you just knew that something good had to come of this. And, and it did, but it it takes, it it takes uh, real guts to be able to hang around that long and wait for something really good to happen that deep into the tournament. I I couldn't be more impressed. Hey, uh, real quick. I gotta go. I gotta go because my phone's dying, but, uh, Two things. One, I thought it was fitting that Rom was the one that emerged from like the, I called it a 10, 10 Lamborghini pileup. You had like all 10 of the top 10 in the world uh, in the, you know, like vying for the championship. I thought it was fitting that Rom emerged because I think that he is, I think over the last three or four years, he's. Yep, there it goes. And his phone died. <laughs> but um, what do you think he was going to say? Over the last three or four years, he... I wonder what he was going to say. I don't we, know. We, we never know. <laughs> but I do think, I do think um, that Kyle and I, maybe last week or uh, the week before, we were asked who is the best player in the world right now. And Kyle and I were mm, on ROM. Yeah. I think, Rick, you and Coach were on uh, DeChambeau, I think, if I remember correctly. Probably. And I'm, look, I'm not. <laughs> I'm, not, uh, I'm, right. not this, I'm not bragging about this. I'm just saying, <laughs> you look at John Rahm and what he was doing was, <laughs> yeah, just a, just a little bit. What he was doing was was so close. It, he he was he was badly he was poorly performing and still finishing in the top ten time and time and time again. And he was he was just there was no magic. Nothing spectacular was happening. And all of a sudden the spectacular happens here at a major and um and i think he asserts himself as the best player in the world right now without question which is kind of cool to see well speaking of that mark uh, it was at the northern trust last year when dustin johnson ran away with it he won by 10 shots or whatever it was over harris english he became at that time the number one player in the world taking it from john rom with this victory john rom will wake up tomorrow officially the number one player in the world. Yeah, and Dustin's been a number one player for a long, long while now. And uh, that maybe might be the little spur in the saddle that he needs to sort of go, yo, let's get some traction here. Let's stop bouncing around between putters. Let's stop fiddling with driver shafts. Let's try and settle on a a golf club setup. Let's try and settle on what we're doing technique-wise. And let's start playing Dustin Johnson-style golf. But, you know, the uh, Jacob you know, in our chat said the, the comparison was between Rahm and Spieth, incidentally. That's right. Yeah. Um, but, but John Rahm, like I said earlier, you know, as a golf instructor, I still find scar tissue when I watch golf like this. And I'm watching people that I'm either friendly with or I care for. And when you in this sort of situation, you know, the weak, the weak link that a player has because every player has one i don't care how good they are and you're always waiting for that situation where that weakness will be exposed and in your your sincerest wish is that somehow this player just gutses up a little bit and delivers the shot required or if they don't they miss in a place where at least you can sort of turn the bad good or turn the bad decent or survive the sort of situation 
And when I watched golf this afternoon, every single one of those Lamborghinis Carl talks about on the leaderboard there, to me, each and every one of them looked like there was just a little something that wasn't completely there. It wasn't all six or seven gears. They were operating on like four or five. There was a bunch of adrenaline going, but you were sort of waiting for the misstep. And it came about with every single one. John Rahm, on the other hand, was the one that I looked at and I'm like, this guy's got everything operational. And um, if it was up to time, and time is the qualifier oftentimes in these big events, John Rahm was going to win. He would just outlast the rest. Congratulations to John Rahm. He is our U.S. Open champion. A little bit further down the board, Louis Ustazen, another runner-up finish. Greg, this now his sixth runner-up finish of his career in major championships. Louis entered the day as part of that trio atop the board at five under. Our friends over at William Hill had installed him as the favorite last night. I didn't think he played particularly poorly. He shot a 71. He hung in there all day long. He birdied 18. The misstep came at 17, which uh, unfortunately, which is him yanking it into the penalty area, left off the tee, which immediately flashes you back to the shot he hit at the Zurich in a playoff where he sprays it right off the tee into the water and uh, dashes him and Schwartzel's chances in that event. Yeah, it's a good it's a good point. Um, it's a good one to bring up because I look at Louie in these majors and I don't think of him as somebody who chokes. Right, I don't think that Louis gives up opportunities. He plays well and gets beat. It seems. Um, perhaps, perhaps this today was a was a choke um, on seventeen t. He really had a chance and he didn't execute. He loses by one. It's easy to call that a, a choke. I mean, you got to hit that ball to the. You you can't hit it left. You cannot hit it in. It's the only place you can't hit it. And so I think that's a little bit disappointing for Louis. Um, the one at the Zurich was definitely a, a choke. He didn't, I mean, he hit it way right there into the water. But all that being said, this guy impresses me so much because he too, like Rom, is extremely, his game is so complete. And he doesn't have the firepower that Rom has or, or some of these other big hitters. He's a shorter version, but he's a great driver of the ball. He hits tons of fairways, um, and they, yeah, it's, let, it's let him down a couple of times recently, as you mentioned, Rick, but he can hit great iron shots, and he putts great. And, you know, it's a couple of people I was talking to before the uh, round were saying, uh, Louis will crumble, and I just had this feeling, he may not win. Um, he's great at coming in second, but he's not going to crumble. And he, and he just continues to fight and find himself right there when all the chips are down. He's one of the last standing. And like Mark was saying, somebody was playing without something and they had this moment where the, they lost the tournament. And for Louis, it, it didn't happen in that 12 through 15 stretch. He plays those those holes even par and, and he makes it all the way to 17. He, he lasted an extremely long time and it was um, his tournament to win. He played under the highest amount of pressure all day long. I loved what I saw from him. I was just a little disappointed hitting it left on 17. Yeah. Outside of one shot, Mark, I, I outside of the tee shot on 17, I thought Louie was great. He was playing with Mackenzie Hughes, who was uh, giving he was giving them all away on every single hole. Uh, Louie played the stretch from 12 to 16. Very difficult stretch in even par. He made par on every single one of them. He was hitting the driver well. I, I think he hit one bad shot. 
Yeah, I want to go back to the second shot on the 11th. Um, now, look, it's I'm going to be the typical armchair quarterback now, which I hate <laughs> because it's easy to watch golf and think you know it all. So, so I'm going to qualify my observations, so don't rip me. But I thought the shot selection on the second shot on the 11th, the par three, where he missed it to the right, it was curious to me. You know, the, everything there is pretty hard underfoot, that golf course, because there's the sand base. And, and then he's in a situation where he's 15 feet, 20 feet off the edge of the green. You've got a green that pitches away from you. And it looked like the lie was sort of burned out. And he's going for something where they did a close-up of how he released the club through the ball. And there was a whole lot of wrist flick. It was like he's trying to add extra luff to the wedge. With something like that. Now, again, I did not see the lie up close, so I might be wrong where he could have went a lot more basic on that, just dribbled the thing onto the fringe, allowed the camber of the green to do the rest, and give yourself three, four, five feet putting uphill as opposed to going for the flopper, you know, blasting the thing beyond the cup to where Bryson putted from, uh, 10, 12 feet, downhill left to right, and those are the hard ones. So I thought that shot was a little curious, but he knows better. That's just my observation, you know, looking from afar. And then... Uh, you know, you don't want to call it a choke. I, I tweeted uh, when he knocked in that par putt on 16. I'm like, this is real. You know, this boy's going to close it out now because that showed big stuff. And you get there on 17. David Ferti said it best. He goes, you can hit Mexico's on the right hand side of that fair on 17 there, and you can hit it to like Kingdom Come on the right and be okay. And we saw this out of Bryson, and Louis did the same thing on 14. We're down the left side of 14. There's nothing but disaster and penalty. Yet the thing nearly in 15 fairway. Gets a drop off the path, burned out a lie, hits it on the green, makes four. And yeah, you hit one down the left-hand side. I'm wondering, talking about the word choke or whatever, because I, I, I find it unfair if we critique players and say they choke. Because the pressure that these guys are under, uh, we'll never fathom. Um, and so that's an unfair representation. But I'm wondering if there's some scar tissue because he blew on miles right, as you say. I was there for the playoff in New Orleans in the water. That cost them the victory. And then there was something down the track. All the events blur into one for me right now, but I had him the same thing. Coming down the stretch, Just he just blew one way out to the right-hand side where he gets a bit stuck on, on, on the ball that he tries to hit. And so maybe this was like, oh, you know, under pressure, I hit the thing to the right. I'm going to try and let this thing go. And then he hits, hits it to the left-hand side. And that, to me, is a mental error of biblical proportion for, for a golfer who's hugely experienced, a golfer who's won around the world, won a major championship. I'm like, Louie, you can't When he hit it in there. I was like, I, I, I nearly lost my breath for him. It, it was horrendous. I, I want to say one thing about the choking. Because I, um, I understand what you're saying here, Mark. Um, and I will just say this. I, I do think that it's fair to say that somebody choked. Um, but that being said, you have to earn the right to choke under pressure because not everybody gets a chance. Like you and I, Mark, we don't get a chance to choke under pressure because we're not good enough. Right. And so I, it reminds me of this story, which uh, is a little bit of a telephone game story. So if it's not exactly right, I apologize. But this is at Medalist in the in the in the golf shop at Medalist. And somebody's talking about Greg Norman, who who started the place. And they're saying, I can't believe he lost that six shot lead at the Masters. Uh, this is he's he's choked he choked. And Greg overheard it and he was there. 
And his response, I thought, was beautiful and highlights this perfectly. And he said, how many times have you had a six-shot lead in the Masters? <laughs> and it kind of it, it highlights that point exactly. In order to choke, you have to be there. You have to put yourself in position. So w- to say Louis choked is, yes, a negative thing. And, and no, none of us will ever know what that pressure is like. But he earns the right to choke there. So there, there is a uh, positive line in in a comment like that, which I, I think it's a good story. And I think it's an important uh, delineation here. Golf's very own Beetlejuice. If you say the word choking three times, Kyle Porter <laughs> appears. I think I've got him. KP, KP, <laughs> did Louie choke? Uh, so first of all, we can, we can like, we can be crippled guys. Like I, we, it's not like, I don't know. They're critical of themselves, you know? And I think the, um, no, I, I don't know. I, I, I don't like that word. I, I agree with kind of what you guys were saying, but I think you can, you can, it just feels different, man. Like there's a reason Mackenzie Hughes shot 75 today or 70, whatever. Russell Henley shot 76. Like it, it feels different. So whatever you want to call what that feeling is and what it does to your, you know, like the differentiation between the way you played the first three rounds and the last round, if you want to call that choking, if you want to call that melting down, wilting, whatever it is, like it's something. There's a reason McKenzie Hughes's don't win U.S. Opens, right? And some of that is because he's not the ball striker that John Rahm is, and some of it is because Sunday is like a different sport. And so I, I it happens I, at I every single major. Has, yeah. And, right. like, I understand what you guys are saying, but I, I think it's fair to say, like, hey, you felt something and you you played way differently than you have been. And that's, like, a real thing. And I don't know what word we use for it, but I, I do think it's real. I'm going to move us along here a bit because there's someone I, I really am dying to get to. But shout out to Harris English, who, who Greg, we often say posting a number never works almost works for Harris. There was a moment. He, he posts, I don't know what his position was when he posted uh three under and that his paycheck got bigger as the day went on. Uh, these guys kept playing. They kept faltering. Harris English ends up solo third. Not a bad day. I want to do, I want to look into this, uh, this posting <laughs> thing. I want to find out when the last time somebody posted a number and won because it's so it's <laughs> talked about at length. Leading into Sundays, you know, if he could post, if if he could just post, it'll be great. And and it it hardly ever happens. There's got to be a statistic out there. It's got to be at an open championship, right? This very event, Leishman three years ago did it. Leishman was in the fifth to last group and shot 65 or six or whatever. Was he in the fifth to last group? Mm, Yeah, it it, it happens at this course often. Scott, 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 Scott Stallings did it. (laughs) Snedeker did it on like Saturday night. He yeah, posted. That's, it, that's <laughs> what I was going to say. He posted the day before. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Hey, I mean, I'd love to have some real data on it because I just feel like it. It is talked oh, you, about. Well, that's, this is real data, Greg. We're giving you I know. years yeah. and players. Hey, and- I know it's great, and it's proving me wrong. I just, <laughs> I want to have a list. I want to see what. I want to like look into this a little bit. It's my only point because I have this hey, feeling, hey, which is well, clearly wrong. While we edit. When John Rahm got his first PGA Tour win, he posted here too. Uh, he wasn't in the it's only a last Tory Pines yeah. thing. <laughs> Maybe it's just a Tory Pines <laughs> thing. Tory Pines thing. There's something about this golf course, the way it shakes out, that stretch of holes there, 14, 15, 16, they are brutes, man. 
And, well, and yeah, they say 18 is birdieable, but when you've fumbled your way through those holes, turning around to make a birdie on 18, which is why I, I tip my cap to Louis, because he must have felt horrid walking to 18T. And now you've got to make Eagle. You know, he was very cerebral about what he did. And to close with a birdie, that was that showed some gumption to me. Yeah, it's a, it's a great point. So maybe, Rick, maybe we're just off on our, uh, and I'll take the credit for it. Maybe I'm just a way off on that that take, which is very I like, possible. I like the idea of it. We'll just we'll just look into it at yeah, non-Corey yeah, Pines good. events. Uh, okay, now it's time. Bryson DeChambeau went out in 33. That's two under par. KP, at one point, he held the solo lead of the U.S. Open, looking to go back-to-back successfully defend his title he then got into the gauntlet holes 11 through 17 11 he made bogey 12 he made bogey 13 he made double 17 he made a quad and when the dust settled he shot a 77 and finished t26 chugged (laughs) choked it wasn't good hey i mean it was it was it was not uh, what were you saying, Mark? No, I was making a bad joke, a very bad joke about choked. No, I, I was being silly. Forgive me. Um, it was it was weird, right? Like I, I don't, I, I didn't see, I didn't see seventeen. I don't know what happened there. But the way he was playing the course, and I kind of wrote about this last night. He, he's kind of figured out that, like, it, it, it feels like he's kind of solved the U.S. Open puzzle right like you don't have to hit fairways he didn't even try to hit. it was like actively trying not to hit fairways and you just don't it doesn't it doesn't matter if you hit them and so like what he was doing was just working like he was just applying this plan this formula and it, it was working and then it just didn't in a huge way and i don't maybe he started feeling it seems like 11 12 13 would be really early to start feeling like that much pressure and that differently especially when you're the defending u.s open champion i think he just made some really bad decisions or bad breaks on 13 and then again i I don't know what happened on 17 but i it looked like i thought it was gonna be him and rory and then they both hit the eject button i mean just they needed one of the paragliders parachutes to to come back down to earth after how hard they ejected uh which Jacob, Jacob has, uh, he's showing on YouTube. He's got the usopen.com. So we're kind of watching Bryson's uh, holes here. And, you know, Greg, this to me was a guy who, for the for the first nine, was in complete control. Oh, there, oh my that was a bad one. That was, that what was, was the, that? I mean, he, he shanked it. He topped it. He bladed it. Pure yeah, in the oh, that's I the had, word. I had, that's the I word. had not seen that yet. <laughs> Yeah, he smacked yeah, it right, he he smacked it. right in the forehead, Greg. I mean, this is to me. He was he went from he went from completely in control of his game to completely out of control of his game. And I know it happens fast, and I know the margins are very small. But man, it was this. This to me was shocking because after he figured it out on what would that have been Thursday night, Friday morning in his sleep. I mean, he was unstoppable. There, there was a stretch. Yeah. Of, I forget how many holes in a row. He played 28, 29 in a row without a book. He almost made an ace guys. He he was one inch away yeah. from making an ace on eight. And it would have been the highlight yeah. we showed it, it for, for in all eternity. It would have been the, sh- the greatest shot ever in route to defending his U S open crown. He was in complete. I cannot describe how much in control of this event he was. That's the way it, I felt. It when looked, he made the turn. You're right, Rick. It looked like this was going to be a complete runaway. 
And yeah, I don't know that, if any of you guys two. caught it. Yeah, this is eight. This one was sweet. And so it, it, he also hit a really nice third shot into nine and had a great look for birdie. It was downhill. It was fast. It didn't go in. But, I mean, it, it, it really was starting to look like a runaway. And then all of a sudden on 11, well, it started on 10. He hit a tee shot a little bit to the right. And then on 11, he, I don't know if you guys heard it, but somebody was yelling a little early. And I don't know if it distracted him or if he just missed it to the right. So he misses that one to the right, makes bogey. On on 12, he misses to the right again, uh, makes another bogey. And then on 13, he misses to the right again, gets a bad lie in the rough. Um, and he tries to get a little more, maybe he tries to get a little more out of it than he should have. And he leaves it in the rough again. And then he hits it into the first bunker of those those three bunkers on the hill. And he just kept hitting it into bad places. And it, it was like he tried to kind of overpower it, um, and it didn't work. But all three of those were to the right, and on 12, he, his foot slipped big time. Uh, his right foot slipped tremendously. I mean, he almost whiffed. I'm surprised he made contact that with was the 13, ball. I, he, I mean, right. he didn't almost whiff, but he could have he whiffed. Yeah, it was 13. That was 13. No, 12T. Watch that. 13. That's 13. That's, that's 13. 13T. Oh, that's 13T? Okay. Well, that's the one. I, that's the one I'm the, thinking of. The the thing that yeah. got him in trouble was the layup, though, right? The second shot, right? Where he, he leaves left it in, in the rough, and then he just it was downhill from Whoa. there. He ended up next to us, a, a, a twelve pack of Stella <laughs> up behind the green, which is just that's not where you want to be on Sunday. This I mean, is that's really where you want to be on like that's where that's you want to be on Tuesday. But that's not where Sunday. I want to be on Sunday next to the twelve yeah. pack of of Stella. This is Mark. This, what did you where, What did you make of this? This Mark? is where I'd love to chime in. Uh, okay, he's he's flushed it over the first eight holes or so. Then he misses one left on nine. Goes hits it wide right on as as Greg said on nine. 10, same thing, gets lucky down there in the rough. 11, misses a 7-iron, way right. 12, hits it off the planet on the right-hand side. Then the foot slips on 13. But here's where I question Bryson. On 13, he's hit the stuff in ankle-high rough. But the whole thing that he's telegraphed to everybody is I'm going to bomb and gouge. Now, instead of just taking some sort of iron out there, hitting the thing down into the valley there and wedging it on the green, he's like, no, I'm going to try and bludgeon this thing out of this lie into uh, as close to the green as I can. Gets himself in that one of those greenside bunkers, which is cooked. Those bunkers down there are just no dice, okay? And then he turns just – that turns into disaster in the double bogey because then he's chopping around over the green. It was like human one-man ping pong. So I'm looking at this going – some stage you've just got to step away from the thing a little bit. It's like my critique at Augusta National. Certain times you've got to massage your way around that golf course. You can't just be swinging for the fences all of the time. And then on 17, I'm like, you know, you can have yourself a decent finish, but still we're going to try and whip driver down there. And he too hits the thing in, in no man's land down the left-hand side. And all the other misses had been to the right. So it said to me, I'm like, Bryson, you know, if if you're just shown the real smarts about you and you get yourself back against the ropes, you can't punch your way out of that at times. Sometimes you just got to make the prudent play. And he didn't on 13 and essentially cooked his own goose over there. And, and so I was, for Bryson's sake, because he did look really good, disappointed for him. And, and I hope that he lose the decision that he, that he made there on 13. I, I want to run I, this know, right back. I want to run. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Greg. Well, I was just going to say, I mean, I, I agree with you to an extent, Mark, but at the same time, 
this concept works because he's willing to take on the risk. And it reminds yeah. me of like a Phil Mickelson conversation, right? He, Phil Mickelson loses a lot of tournaments, but but he loses a lot of tournaments and that gives him the ability to win a lot of tournaments. So if I'm Bryson, I mean, I, I may, maybe that lie on, on uh 13 is a little work. Maybe he try, did try to get too much out of it, but, um, but there is a philosophy here that includes some risk. I'm not and, for, and I don't think, you know, well, go, go ahead. I'm sorry. I'm not for one minute saying the philosophy doesn't work, but I'm saying there are situations where you step away from it slightly and make yeah. the play that the name on the side of your bag indicates that you are, that you're making a professional decision under the circumstances here. Yeah, I understand I what that, you're saying. I, you, I think that's... I think that's fair. I think it's easy to I think it's easy for us to say, well, he shouldn't have done what he did on those two holes. When like if he if he has a better lie on 13, like I don't know what his lie was on 13, but if he's able to pop that up or I like, see, we just he just applies what he does and it and it works. You know, like it's just All right, you never talk about it if it works. Like it's 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 almost all or nothing, right? He's he either does it and and again, maybe he had a bad lie and I think in that instance Mark's critique is like that's fair like get it back out make a make a six there even and you don't take yourself out of the tournament on the whole on the whole before that kyle he hit the thing wide right on 12 and drew a horrid lie and absolutely bashed this a time from like whatever the number was to the front edge of the green if he does the same thing on 13 we are not having this conversation he can hit eight you're saying he just he needed to hit an eight iron it was a club choice for you, Mark. Is yeah, that what you're saying? I mean, yeah, he's isn't, trying to isn't that what he's... as far down there as he possibly can. Wait, I, yeah. I'm confused, maybe. Well, because, see, I, I agree with you. On 12, like, that's the scenario where it works, right? You're trying to... It, he, it's crazy to try to hit that thing over the tree from that rough. Um, you're carrying a lot of rough on the way to the front edge of the green. Is that crazy? Well, is is the difference in your opinion, Mark, the club selection? Or are you talking about well, the you, second shot on thirteen? Yeah, the second shot or on thirteen. Third? Yeah, the second shot oh, the on second. Yeah. Okay. second on thirteen. You are so far in that heavy Kikuyu rough that with his strength, if he just powers a nine iron or a wedge out there, he gets the thing down in that valley, he wedges it on the green, yeah. he gives himself 15 feet or whatever, 20 feet for birdie. If he hits a poor wedge, what did he hit? 30 feet. I, I don't know, but he looked like he was saying a mighty lash at something. And why I'm saying, why I can make this comment with some authority is on the whole prior, he had one this deep in the rough as well and was able to move an eight iron 190 yards to the front edge of the green. That's that's yeah. all I'm saying. I understand. I, what yeah, you're I don't. Go ahead. I want to I want to move us here a little bit, but uh, I think we have a rare opportunity here that we have to talk about because I don't know if you guys have realized this. Mark has spent a lot of time on Twitter this week. I, I actually think it's a little detrimental to his health, <laughs> but and I've got I've got a uh, I've got another one here for you, Mark. So you might have seen this. Uh, Bryson obviously has took some lines this week that were intentionally into the stance and he uh did not did not give us a a yell at any point he never offered up a four to those out there in the in the viewing audience and i wonder i wonder how you felt about that uh me (laughs) yes you uh well i i know the players weren't that happy about it it's just not in the in the interests in the standard of the game. I mean, who, who are we supposed to be? So um, I understand he's perhaps trying to hit them over the gallery's heads and stuff. But I watched, you know, a dear friend of mine and a countryman 
um, where on 11, Louis hits one out to the right and they had the close up on him afterwards where you could see the ball was airborne and they had the tight shot on his face and he was like, he had shot, he shot it for twice and then you can see him going, oh, please don't hurt somebody. Because this is a thing, right? When the fans are in there close. And I can tell you from multiple players I've worked with, when the players, when the fans start leaning over the ropes and you back there on the tee 50 yards back, they're looking at faces here going, I could end someone's life. And so you play with a certain amount of circumspection. So I'm not going to critique Bryson for that sort of thing, but I'm just saying, when you, if you're going to do that, and it sounds like this is what he's going to do, at least please give us the courtesy of going, hey, down the right four over on the right-hand side. Real quick, I, I, want to know what made, yeah. I want to know what made Mark the most mad that he, that he saw on Twitter this week. I just want just one, <laughs> one take. Just fire one off. No, I wasn't mad. I was, I was, I was just commenting on golf <laughs> the afternoon. I was kind of doing what you did. I just wouldn't make as many hot takes. I just like I, to say. I thought I thought Mark was I thought Mark was especially spicy in the Saturday night recap. He there were, you know the uh, the people who thought every uh, you know Russell Henley was going to melt down. I forget what the exact stuff was, but I thought Mike was Mark was especially spicy on Saturday evening. Yeah, well, look, I, I was, and that got me going on Saturday morning when I woke up. I, I just don't like it when. And everyone's entitled to their opinion. I, and I'm entitled to mine here. And I just don't like it when someone can just make these sweeping statements about some guy who's laying his everything on the line there in front of millions of folks. And in golf, you've got this game where there's enforced timeouts over every shot. And there's more to it than just hitting a shot. There could be a poor lie that you don't know about. Or, or you know, there's all sorts of variables that are always up there in the ether that we don't really know about. Yet we can make these statements about these folks going, well, he's got no chance. And I'm like, just let's be a little careful and cognizant about this sort of stuff. because. But isn't, isn't, isn't that our job to do that? It's not my job. No, my, it might be yours. No, 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 it's not, it's not mine. My job is to analyze golf. And I will say to you if the guy looks nervous or whatever the case might be when I'm out there. But I'm not going to make some statement. And I saw a bunch of it on Saturday morning going, oh, well, um, sorry for these guys. They're not going to last. And Russell turned around and said, whatever. I made it another round. So these guys are good. They've earned their right. They've earned their right to be out there. I'm like, let them play. I will critique a poor play. Don't get me wrong. You, I hope you've heard me say so. And I did that some this afternoon, but I'm not going to start calling them out before they've even had a chance to tee it up. I think, it, I think it's fair. I think it's very, very fair. My pick to win, gentlemen, was Colin Morikawa. And Greg, I, I thought I was going to steal one. I thought I was going to steal one here because Morikawa birdies two. He birdies four. Then he missed, let me see here. I want to get the exact shot tracker here. Missed a birdie putt on six from six feet, 11 inches. Not necessarily a gimme. Would have been nice to have. Then he stuffs one at eight to three feet, nine inches. Misses that. Again, not, okay, that might be a gimme. That's kind of a gimme. Then he plays 13, a par five, an opportunity where guys are making birdies. Makes double. Uh, kind of had the same issue where his his layup, got into the rough. And if your layup was in the rough on 13, you were in big trouble. Colin Morikawa would have liked two of those shots back, would have liked three of those shots back. Uh, ends up finishing T4, great result, but feels like he left a lot out there. 
Yeah, absolutely. And and there's a cool there's a, a element of this that I really like um, in Colin Morikawa coming that close. Um, I mean, really being within four shots there, you can count four putts inside of ten feet that he could have made. So it's not like he's not long enough. He's not a big enough hitter, right? His model will work, and and it can it can it can work very clearly. So I love the way he played the last three rounds. I give him a ton of credit. Um, I, I thought his Friday round was really gutsy. And we talked about it on Friday night, Rick, how with just two kind of steady rounds, Colin Morikawa could win. And he did that. I, I thought he would need um, two 69s, uh, four under par over the weekend. And I thought that would get the job done. It, it wouldn't have. It would have it would have missed by two shots. Um, but but he did play two great steady rounds and just a couple of mishaps cost him. But uh, what a, what an impressive player. KP, he was four over par. I'll go, I'll go back even further. He was six over through his first 16. Six over through his first 16. He eagled 18 on Thursday to shoot a 75, four over par. That could have been it. The guy grinds himself back into the golf tournament, has a real chance on Sunday, and barring a few small missteps in a part of his game that we know is not strong and we know he's going to spend a lot of time working on. He's that close. I thought he missed the cut, to be honest. Yeah, he should have. He should have missed the cut. <laughs> uh, it's interesting. I didn't think he, I didn't think more was going to play that well this week because his game just doesn't really fit what we talked about coming in. Right. Like he's not, he's not long. Um, I mean, relatively, he's not long. Uh, I didn't see what, what was what was his uh, fairways uh, like. What was his fairway percentage? Do we have that, producer? Producer Jacob, seventy-one percent. Okay, yeah. so he had a ton of fairways. I probably like tons or second or third T- or T2. something like that. Yep, T two. And, and and that was that was the deal, right? We we said, hey, Colin Morikawa's got to like lead the field in fairways hit to have a shot. And that's what he did. That's really impressive to be able to do that. And he just let what he does best, which is his ball striking, his iron play, take over. So, you know, I, I don't like this modern U.S. Open thing where it's just bash it and go find it. And who cares if you hit uh, fairways? It doesn't really matter. I mean, I don't think Rom hit that. What was Rom's fairway percentage? It what, was like 54%. 52. T28. <laughs> Yeah, so it's it's not like it's not good. It's not in the top, you know, top ten, top fifteen, which is traditionally I think what we think of when we think, oh, when the U.S. I heard Webb saying that in an interview. It was like this special thing on the 2012 U.S. Open. He's like, I like U.S. Opens because that's my deal. I hit fairways. I'm not that long, and I feel like it's kind of gone away from that a little bit. Just the setup and the courses, and and we talked about that coming in. So all that I thought what more college. Uh, throughout the course, just to get in tension at all, regardless of what happened on Thursday, was really, really impressive. Yeah, Mark, I'm running out of superlatives. You know, it's I, I keep saying he answers all the questions. I keep r- piling off and listing off all the the wins and the close calls and the contentions. But here we are. I don't even know a year and a half, two years into this professional career, and he just continues to seemingly get better, and uh, I'm, I'm scared for everybody as he continues to evolve in this young career. Yeah, I, I, I personally think he will contend in future U.S. Opens. Um, and I want to point back to two things that you guys have said. 
first off, that battle back that he showed in the second round where I think he shot 67. And he, did. he, he didn't did. get off to a fast start. That takes a tremendous emotional and mental toll on one playing this style of game where pars are good and it's, it's almost like attrition and there's a lot of survival. And, and I think, you know, if you have to go through that and everybody does, where you're playing yourself back from way behind the eight ball, that takes its toll on one. And then the rest of the time you're existing on adrenaline. And he has a decent day Sunday, survives some, then gets off to a decent start, and all of a sudden he makes birdies, and now the adrenaline is surging, right? And then on eight, he stiffs one in there to, what, three and a half, four feet, and doesn't even touch the hole. In fact, hits it the same distance beyond the hole. That adrenaline ended right there. And then from then on, you could see him was trying to sort of fire and trying to fire, but there was this like, take a step forward, fall back, because now the guy is running on empty. And, and that's something, again, that you can't really quantify. He was, he strokes gained off the tee. I actually just had a look. Strokes gained yeah, off the tee. He was third in the field, unless I'm missing something. So, so I, yeah, I have him at second. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So, so he might have been he, third he, for he's Sunday. Doing everything, but then again, there's this thing where, I think he just wore himself out. And then when he missed that short putt on eight, it was like, my, there's just this letdown. Someone lets the air out of the balloon. And I don't know this for sure, but you can see it happen oftentimes when you see guys play. It's like they're going through the routines and they're going through the motions and stuff, but there's just nothing there. Uh, you, you could almost see the same thing out of McElroy coming down the stretch where he was going, 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 and then there was the one misstep and then another, and there's like, oh, and you could see him battling, but it just wasn't there. They'd, they'd sort of run out of gas in the tank, and I think that was some of what happened to Colin this week. How yeah, about, but, uh, only, how, go ahead, Greg. Go ahead. Uh, I was just going to say, say um, <laughs> the, the – <laughs> Uh, jinx. Anyway, uh, the you owe me another Palmer spike. This is our this is this is our this is our handshake moment. We can yeah. handshake, right? Yeah, uh, tough scene. You hate to see it. But anyway, I was going to say I, I love the fight of Morikawa. In one, he battles back on Friday. I think is huge. And I also I think back to the memorial where he hit it really poorly, especially for Colin Morikawa, and all of a sudden finds the putter. Because he just finds ways to score, finds ways to get it done. The putt-in has to improve, um, but but what he does with the flat stick is going to go, um, or what he does ball striking and what he can do with the flat stick is the thing that's going to keep him contending in future U.S. Opens, in future majors, and regularly and consistently throughout um, throughout many years to come. Mm. KP, what were you going to say? Uh, only two top 10 putters in the top whatever 12 of the leaderboard which i feel like is a little bit unusually we get a couple more like guys that had really great putting weeks uh up up in that top 10 or 12 i thought that was a little bit unusual scotty scheffler gained eight and a half strokes putting he finished t7 the other one would have been louis Ustase, and he gained 7.44 finished runner-up adam hadman was up there t40 rick lamb t46 taylor montgomery T57. So yeah, that's what's that's what Kyle is referring to. Also, Xander Shoffley led the field in strokes gained off the tee. That's kind of scary. Xander, Xander <laughs> is, might be allergic to leads. Like he might have a allergic to the lead problem. I just I'm I don't know. It's it's disappointing. Um I actually do have to go now cuz I got to finish this column. Um I might be out Perfect. of take. Oh, my la- my last take. I think Tory is uh I, I think it's not that good. I think it's fine. I think it's okay. 
I don't know if we want to dive into that before the. Were you gonna say? Yeah, go ahead. Give us, give us your, give us the, give us the the bullet points for why why Tori is fine. Well, there's just there's it's just kind of boring, right? Like there's not a ton of risk reward holes. Uh, there's there's only like one or two holes where there's any runoff. Like if you miss a green and it and it runs away, I think that's super compelling. But I, I will say this: that's a USGA setup thing. Because a lot of greens at Tory are elevated. A lot of the greens at Tory Pines are perched up. So that's not a Tory Pines thing. That's a USGA setup thing if you're growing rough around greens. For sure. For sure it is. And I agree with that. And so it's partly a Tory take and partly a, a setup deal. Um, but I will say this about Tory. I think that it's the type of place where because there's not a ton of risk reward holes, you get you're going to get a bunch leaderboard like this. And the bunch leaderboard is going to be all the best players because all the best players are playing. And so while for the first couple of days, it might not be a super entertaining product like a, like a Shinnecock, right. Or even like a pebble or a, or a Riviera, uh, I think is, is more risk reward type stuff at the end on Sunday, it's going to be awesome. Like it was for, for most of the day on Sunday. So I think that's the, like the critique of it is also what makes it an entertaining product at the back end of the. So I think to, like the, the takeaway, the end of it is positive, even if like the whole thing just kind of left me feeling a little bit tepid. There were certainly some valid criticisms of Tory Pines. I think that's uh, the fact that it's a uh, muni, that it's a public course that anybody can play, and that it's got a great visual. I think that out, you know, st- tries to offset some of these things. But architecturally and setup wise, I wish there were more holes that weren't necessarily driver holes. Where I mean, I think you could basically hit driver or encourage hit driver on every single hole, and a risk, a, a drivable, a short par four would be nice. Yeah, I, I miss the short part four. I think that's always super compelling. And just all the holes kind of look the same to me. You know, like, it, it, not all of them. Three and four are awesome. Two is kind of cool. Um, but they just, I don't know. They just, but but again, like, the flip side of it is we got Rom, Morikawa, Rory, Bryce, all these guys contending on a Sunday. That was a, uh, the, the end of the week was really, really good. It was fun. That's Kyle Porter. Get out of here. Go do your work. That you can follow him on Twitter at Kyle Porter CBS. Thanks for hopping on. That is a perfect time for us to segue because we are going to do our one and done update. And I hate to say it, we've we've got a new we've got a new leader. So we're gonna get to that. But first, we're gonna take a quick break and hear a word from our partners. Did you know that more than 75% of Americans will experience foot pain in their lifetime, but only 10% will seek out a solution for that pain? Those numbers do not add up to me, and I know it can be confusing, the biomechanics of the foot, the bones, the muscles, everything in between, but solving foot pain is simple, and that's where Superfeet comes into play. These Superfeet insoles go into your shoes, give your feet comfort and support where they need it the most, and redistribute the forces that reduce both stress and strain through your entire body, not just your feet. Insoles have been uh, phenomenal for me uh, personally, and they are clinically proven to decrease fatigue, reduce injury, and improve comfort. I can attest to that myself, especially when walking a a lot of golf holes that I play. So if you feel good, you play good, you look good, everything 
works out from there and it starts from the bottom up. Visit superfeet.com and enter promo code FIRST at checkout for 15% off your first order plus free shipping. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. And we're back. I wish Coach was here because I could I can finally give him some credit here, gentlemen. This is our, our one-and-done update. Coach, who entered the week approximately $2.5 million, just earned, uh, Mark, $1.3 with Louis Ustazen. Coach. Coach just earned, that is uh, by far the most he has earned in, okay, let me let me do this for you. Coach has made 24 picks previous to this. He earned a combined 1.5 million. He just got 1.3 million this week. <laughs> I wish I'd picked Louis. I don't, I don't know what on earth I was thinking. I was going for a guy that I thought was a, a sure thing around Torrey Pines, but that's for another time. But I'm happy for Coach. He's getting a little closer to us, so at least it gives him a little bit more uh, room to, to, to spout off. Yeah, we're going to get to your pick in just a second. Jacob, he went with Brooks Kepka. Pretty good week, $553,000. Moves him to $4.3 million. Jacob, do you want to come on and uh, tell us if you are satisfied or not with, with Brooksy? Uh, I'm okay with this. Uh, me and a buddy in another league we're in, we took John Rahm. So, you know, it's a, we're still celebrating here. Uh, I didn't have Rahm available in this league, but I would have taken Rahm. Uh, but, you know. Could have, would have That's shot. right. You used John Rahm very early. You took him at the, oh, no, you took him at Wings Foot. You took him at the 2020 U.S. Open. He got you 95000 I think anytime you get 553000 from any golfer, I think you got to be pretty happy with that. So you moved to $4.3 million. Kyle is next. Kyle, $7.4 million, Greg. He went with that guy, Bryson DeChambeau. And I think as Bryson made the turn, Kyle was probably counting his millions and as those strokes were rolling in on the back nine those were costing not only bryson dechambeau a lot of cash but costing kyle porter a lot of cash as well yeah disappointing because you know the thing with 17 it's uh for a player like bryson he's playing for the trophy and when the trophy gets out of touch and it's the end of a long week i'm not saying that guys are giving up because i don't believe that but like what mark was saying where there's just nothing left that happens and when you when you realize that you don't have a chance to win anymore the tank you you lose the adrenaline and so the tank is empty for everybody for a really long time um but but many of the players are running on adrenaline cuz they're still in the mix and when you lose the touch of, when you lose touch of the lead and you know that it's over it's very easy to real it, to, it's very easy to lose your adrenaline and then the tank's empty. So I think that happened. It's tough to see, especially when you're on so much after eight at the turn, you're you're flying as high as possible and it's just shattered. So I really feel for Bryson, but um, what a performance! Another great pick from Kyle Porter. It's just it was um, 
kind of disappointing down the stretch. 91,000 moves Kyle to 7.4 million. Mark, you're up next. $500,000 clear of Kyle. You're at 7.9, which is unfortunately where you started the week because you did go with Tony Finau, who previous to this had played really well at Torrey Pines. He missed the cut and earns $0. Yeah, that was disappointing because Tony's record around there is great. I mean, he contended in the very last edition um, at, of the Farmers Insurance Open, and he was seven for seven with cuts made. So I figured, hold on, place where you strike the ball well. Um, he's from Utah, so he can putt these Poanya greens a little bit better. And oftentimes these greens sort of mitigate putting skill which is why you see some of the, the strokes gain putting numbers go off the charts. And some guys kind of rim putts in and some guys lip putts out because those perennial greens get a little hair raising. So I was like, it was always going to be a dicey pick. And and I figured someone who was not chalkish, but but sort of would, would be a good selection. I was vacillating between he and Bryson. But then I decided, thankfully now, looking at what transpired now over the back nine, that I'm saving Bryson for Detroit in two weeks' time, where it's a bent grass greens place where you can calculate those things and still use the green books while they're available and do all of Bryson's stuff and take it over the top of dog legs and stuff. So I'm hoping Bryson comes through in two weeks' time. But this was a misstep, and I'm, I'm, I'm hoping there's enough time to, to make up some ground on Greg and you. For the first time in a long time, I'm next. 8.7 million. I went with Brooks. I got 553,000. I just told Jacob he has to be happy with that result. So I have to be happy with that result. But it pales in comparison to you, Greg, who went with John Rom. He got you 2.25 million. You have now earned over 2 million in two separate events. You got the winner of the November Masters, Dustin Johnson. You got the winner of the 2021 US US Open, John Rom. You also earned another million from Tony Finau at Riviera. You've got three separate million dollar winners, and you are now about a quarter of a million dollars clear. I will take off the crown. I will pass it over to you. Congratulations. And I will bow in honor because it's been an honor to to uh, operate under your under your lead, Rick. Because it was a quite a lead for quite a while, and this is far from over. Um, this super season, <laughs> I told I was telling a couple of friends of mine that we had that our league has uh, we started. At, you know, at the U.S. Open or Safeway Open, um, yeah. and they were like, "What are you guys? I can't believe you're playing 50, 50 events." Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're playing 50 events, and so it's been um, quite a wild ride. Does this make me a popper, by the way? Am I a, am, am I a popper, you or, are or does it not count because of the major? Even even though I've won majors? Yes, it doesn't matter. <laughs> if, right, if, if like 80% Happy of to your be. results come in, yeah, 10% or less, yeah, you're a popper. I think it's perfect. Hey, it works, man. It works. Yeah, I, I've been uh, kind of reeling in some dark times, and uh, <laughs> I have a list of people that I want to thank. <laughs> I'm, I'm only kidding. It's been great fun. And uh, when a player like DJ wins the Masters and he's expected to, a player like John Rahm wins the U.S. Open and he's expected to, I'm just happy I had him available. Because I know Jacob didn't. I know it's an easy pick, um, but it, it's really cool when they do it. Because there's a lot of not only do we know that they should win, but they know that they should win, and that's a lot of pressure to play with. So I give them all the props in the world, and um, and I greatly thank them. Yeah, part of the skill is sticking to your strategy, not 
burning someone because you panic. Mark's very good at this. Honestly, he's, he's probably got six or 10 guys already filled out for the year before the year starts. And he sticks with it. I, I start to panic. I start to think I got to make up ground. I'm going to, I'm going to go off pace. So I, I, I want to be more you're making like, double at three. Cause you're right. five back. Correct. Right? <laughs> Correct. Mark's hit in the middle of the green. Right. And he, and he knows, and he knows he's got some, you know, uh, some, some arrows in the quiver for, for later. Yeah. I like Russian, that. Strategy. JT, Rory, who's starting to play really nicely. I got a few, I got a few blue chips left. <sighs> yeah. I think I have Bryson and that's it. I'm just kind of scanning. Have I used Rory? Yes. <laughs> I used it at <laughs> November next, Masters. I used next to. week's going to be the challenge. Uh, I'm sort of on Brandon Grace right now. He told me he was going to be playing. Uh, I'm not mm. sure. He's playing well, and he's played well there before. I'm going to get by next week, and then then I've got stuff mapped out for the for the, for the the closing stretch. All right. There you go. Yeah. Early. Web at yep. Wyndham. Don't Early. forget Web at Wyndham. Web at Wyndham. Web at Wyndham. I knew that one. Mm-hmm. All right, gentlemen. I think that'll do it. Our U.S. Open recap episode. We have a new major champion. His name is John Rom. Congratulations. We'll be back on Monday for a DFS preview for the Travelers Championship. We're headed to Connecticut. But for now, let me thank producer Jacob. Does all the hard work behind the scenes. That right there, that's Mark Immelman. You can find him at Mark underscore Immelman. And that's Greg Ducharme, who you can find at The Real GFD. You can find me at Rick Run Good. This has been The First Cut, and we'll catch you next time. From producers Matt Damon and Ben Affleck, explore how art and music sustained hope during the siege of Sarajevo, thanks in part to humanitarians and the band U2. Kiss the Future, new documentary now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Go to Paramount Plus to try it free. Terms apply.